0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 830 or 1045. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you this morning. We continue our series on staycation. You know, discipleship, you know, this trip that we're preparing for, vacation, staycation, we're preparing for discipleship. Discipleship is a journey It's a journey that begins with hospitality. It's a journey that begins with being good stewards of grace and announcing uh, with justice that the kingdom of God is at hand. But sometimes this journey that we're on can be too loud. So sometimes we're called to notice God in the silence, in the silence that we talked about last week. Elijah went up the mountain. God was not in the fire or the wind or the earthquake, but in the still, small voice. Be still, And know that I am God. And of course, the point is not necessarily to have to get away to recognize that God is with us. God is as close to us as is our own silence. We pray that we don't pass through without mind. Last week, uh, and you know, Sabbath is the antidote of that, last week we talked about that there are beach people and there are mountain people. There are kind of two categories. And here in-house, 51% of you are mountain people, 49% of you are beach people. Uh, but that's a bit misleading. There aren't just two groups of people. I wasn't being totally honest last week. There is a third kind There is a third kind of person. It's not about the mountains. It's not about the beach. It's not about getting away. It's not taking a break. It's not searching for the still, small voice. Sometimes people seek learning and transformation when they are away. Our scripture lesson today comes from Galatians, the first chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. Uh, It'll be online. It will be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible Let us hear the word of the Lord. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But... But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through divine grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Back in January, uh, which feels like two years ago, Uh, Christy and I had the opportunity to go to Los Angeles uh, for, it's called the Courageous Leadership Imperative of the South Central Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church, if that's not enough words for you. Uh, And it wasn't a time away. We weren't going to the beach. It wasn't like going to the mountains. It was a learning initiative. It was a moment of transportation, transportation, transformation. We were learning about the Homeboy Network, uh, which is uh, Father uh, Greg Boyle. Uh, He is Uh, in East LA trying to end gang violence, offering former gang members a place to be, a place of welcome, a place of hospitality. So we were there learning of what what that looks like. One evening, uh, we went to the Griffith Observatory. Now, I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. And it's a fantastic place. We were learning about the cosmos and, and the universe and Uh, One of the tour guides there, in in the bottom floor, there is this huge wall. uh, and, And the wall shows, I don't know, hundreds of galaxies with thousands of stars. And what the wall represents is if you hold up your index finger at arm's length, and the wall represents what is behind just your finger when you look up at the night sky. And the tour guide was telling us about how vast the universe is millions of galaxies with billions of stars and there's some parts of the universe that we simply will not see because it's going to take too long for light to reach from the edge of the universe to where we are as the universe continues to expand on the one hand it does kind of make you feel a bit small can I say that maybe insignificant of just here's here's one person on this one planet in this vast universe but then the tour guide said you know We've been looking for life in other places, and we haven't found it yet. Which means that right where we are is very precious indeed. If the earth is the only place where life exists, he then said, the earth is the only place where love exists. Right here, right now, is the only place, as far as we know, the only place in the entire universe where love exists. And if that is the case, we need to be good stewards of this love, to share it, to receive it, to get good at all of the tenets of how God calls us to love our neighbor fascinating. You know, going to Los Angeles wasn't about taking a break. It was about seeking transformation. It was about learning. You know, Paul, this great architect of the Christian faith, had to take some time to figure things out. After having an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, maybe you know the story, he got up And in his own words, got away. I got up immediately and went away to Arabia. Sometimes we have in our mind that Jesus had this experience of of Jesus on the road to Damascus and then immediately started planting churches and preaching the gospel. And no, he took three years to sort things out. Love this. He said, but when God was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim among the Gentiles... I went away at once into Arabia, which is biblical code word for the wilderness out there beyond the cities. I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and met with Peter, stayed with him 15 days. I didn't see any other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother, the leader of the Jerusalem Church. After Paul had this experience with Jesus, he had to take time to figure things out. He had devoted his life to ending the movement that Jesus began. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was actively searching out Christians to do away with them, to snuff them out. And then in a moment, everything. Changed. This reminds me of one of my uh, clergy colleagues, not that he was trying to end the church or uh, get rid of Christians. Uh, his name's Reverend Gene Reeves. Uh, he's a, he was a very successful businessman, a restaurateur. He had a restaurant in Baton Rouge. His kids went to, to private school. Very, very successful. He had everything that he wanted, really. And then one morning, he rolled over looked at his wife and said, Patty, I've got to go to seminary. Can you imagine what was going through Patty's mind at that moment? Here, Here they are, a successful family, have everything that they need, and then Gene has this wonderful idea of going away to seminary for three years. He had a powerful experience of Christ and needed to change. You know, it's not an accident That Paul spent three years in Arabia, and seminary is also three years at least. It's not an accident. But then through this journey, Gene became a United Methodist pastor. I had the great fortune of working with him at University Methodist in Baton Rouge, and he is a gift to the church. You know, his background in in being a restaurateur, being a restaurant owner, came in handy after Katrina... There was a community down in Baker, Louisiana. They called it Renaissance Park, I think was the name. And he partnered with Chef John Fulce. Do you know John Fulce? He and John Fulce fed hundreds of people weekly while they were away, while they had to evacuate, while they, you know, God is interesting. God prepares us for this crazy thing we call life if we're willing to listen And though it was a radical change to roll over and say, honey, I've got to go to seminary. He would say, what? He didn't tell me what his wife said in that moment. I can imagine, though. Even though it was a radical change for him, there were still seeds that had been planted. You know, Paul was zealous for the law, zealous for the tradition. And therefore, when he enters the church, when he communes with Christ, he is able to make sense of the law versus the spirit. It's as if God had been planning that all along. But it is a radical shift. Paul spent three years figuring out, well, everything. How long would it take you to reassess everything? It's not that Paul had a change of opinion, or that Paul uh, changed his voter registration card or changed his status on Facebook from married to, well, now it's complicated. He was leaving the Pharisees. He was leaving the Jewish traditions. Ergo, he was leaving his friends. He was leaving his community. He was leaving a lot behind, leaving the people he trusted, leaving his understanding of salvation And there were no guarantees. What if the church had rejected him? What if Cephas or Peter, what if Peter said, no way? You've been spending your entire life hunting us down, and now you want me to invite you to my church? It's like, I love this. This happens on Facebook every now and again. Uh, The Bossier Sheriff's Office will say, hey, if you have any unused drugs, like cocaine, bring them to the the office, and, and we'll take them off your hands, you know Imagine Paul, spending his life persecuting Christians, now says, "Hey, would you invite me to Asbury? I would love to share the gospel with you." Right. There were no guarantees. Peter could have said no. James could have said "No, but that, through the grace of God, didn't happen. He was invited. He was welcomed, and he became a leader. One of the greatest theologians that we know. Paul specifically mentions that he didn't confer with any disciples. He had a revelation directly from God. Now, on the one hand, this is, Paul does this from time to time to legitimize his own calling and his own authority. You know, the rest of the disciples who are out preaching the word and planting churches, they all literally walked with Jesus. Here is Paul as he says one untimely born, is now planting churches, and he didn't walk with Jesus, did not know Jesus in the flesh. So every now and again, Paul has to say, hey, I'm called by God. I too am an apostle. When I had this revelation of Jesus, I didn't learn it from Peter. I didn't learn it from James. I didn't learn it from the disciples. It was straight from God. But on the other hand, Paul wants us to know that this transformation wasn't due to evangelism. This transformation wasn't that he met a group of Christians and that they were really friendly and he wanted to be in with them. This wasn't about just a change of opinion. It was new wine in new wineskins. It was new creation. For example, I had a conversation uh, with someone a couple of years ago and uh, he had a very strong political opinion, which put him squarely on one side of the divide. But then he had a conversation with his co worker, someone he trusted, someone he admired, had been working with him for 20 years. And his co worker announced that he had a different opinion politically than he had. And he said that this really changed his understanding of where. Where he was. Here's a, here's a man, you know, paying taxes, raising kids, never broke the law, and has a drastically different opinion about this than I do. Maybe, maybe there is some learning. Here's the question he asked me, though. What's even better than that moment of transportation? He asked me, "Is my change of heart the activity of the Holy Spirit, or am I acquiescing because I like him and I admire him and I trust him?" Well, maybe the answer is yes to that question. Is this the Holy Spirit or is, or is he just really being polite and I like him and therefore I agree with him? But you know that it's certainly the activity of the Holy Spirit if transformation happens and you don't like the guy <laughs> and you don't appreciate him Activity of the Holy Spirit growing. Paul is saying that this transformation is not because he saw an opportunity. It's not because he was seeking a change. It's not because tent making uh, was going to be very popular in the Christian sector. It was new wine and new wineskins. He was a new creation because of his experience of Jesus. Jesus pushes us into this place knowing that it's the activity of the Holy Spirit if, if you have a transformation and you don't like the... Per- Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? But love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's a reason why Jesus tells a parable about 10 lepers, and all of them are healed, but only one of them turns to give thanks. And then Jesus gives us the bazinga at the end of the story and says, Oh, by the way, that one who gave thanks was a Samaritan. It's like hearing a news story of someone who sets up a soup kitchen and transforms their neighborhoods and speaks in public schools and is a champion of education. And then at the end of the story, it says, oh, by the way, he's an Alabama fan. It's just one of those things that can be shocking when we hear it. You know, Jesus tells another story of a man who fell, he was on the road to Jericho and fell among the robbers and a priest walked by and a a Levite walked by and then the Samaritan is the one who stopped and showed him mercy. Speaking of Samaritans, you know, Twitter is an interesting thing. Especially what I call weird Christian Twitter. Sometimes we who are clergy get into these kind of very strange arguments online. And I don't know how deeply embedded into Twitter you are. If you're not, God bless you. You're setting a fine example for the rest of us. But sometimes, in fact, there's, there were two arguments that popped up in Twitter this past week. Uh, that, that clergy especially love to, as if there's nothing else to do. I don't know how people find the time to do this. Uh, one argument they had was, what do angels look like? There was kind of this Isaiah and Ezekiel camp where, where angels have lots of eyes and lots of wings, and they cover their eyes in the presence of God. And then there was this other camp that said, no, you fool, angels look like the angel Gabriel. It looks like a, a human form in this camp. And we argue about these things. And it's, can I say it loud, it's kind of pointless to argue about these things. There was another argument, speaking of the Good Samaritan. Someone said on Twitter, uh, it it shouldn't be called the Good Samaritan because Jesus never said Good Samaritan in the story. It should be called the parable of the bad priest and the bad Levite. But here's a fun fact Jesus didn't call them bad either in the story. We get into these camps, we like our camps, don't we? We pick a side, we dig our heels in, and we love our camps. I do too. I have camps. And maybe this is the part of the sermon that's just for me. We like to dig in, we like to draw a line in the sand, stick to our convictions, and that's true. There is a time and a place, here's the footnote, there is a time and a place to draw a line in the sand and dig your heels in and stand up, as I mentioned last week, stand up and fight the good fight, and, and then sometimes we kind of get lost in ourselves, in our silos, arguing things like, do angels have lots of eyes or just two eyes? I mean, really? Are we, are we going to, is there nothing else in the world for us to be investing our time into. So as a tangible, as a tangible piece of advice this week, I would love the people of Asbury to say one of three things in the next coming week. Number one, here's option number one in terms of loving your neighbor and maybe even loving your enemy and maybe, you know, valuing our time not wasting the air that God gives us. Here are are three things. Number one, you you, you can say with my blessing, I hear that your kids are going back to in-person school. I will keep you in my prayers. I know that was a difficult decision. There's one option. Here's another option. Option number two is I hear that your kids are going to do only online schooling this fall I will keep you in my prayers. I know that was a difficult decision. Here's option number three. I hear that you are homeschooling your kids this fall. I will keep you in my prayers. I know that that was a difficult decision. I'm I'm just saying, going to stay ahead of the curve here. When, When school starts up, there will be camps forming. How dare your kids go to in-person school? How dare you homeschool? Do you not trust the, how do you? And friends, there is enough in the world. We don't need to devour each other. So let's be gracious. Let's be kind. Let's be people of hospitality. And if you need to put down Twitter for a while just to be, then that's okay too. Taking time to reassess. There is enough in the world We truly don't have to devour one another. I'll pray for you. I know these decisions are difficult. Can we offer grace? I hope so. One of my favorite musicals is called Children of Eden. It was written by the same guy, Stephen Schwartz, who did Godspell and Pippin. It's fantastic. The first act of the show is with God uh, and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. I love this. Cain, uh, he's disgruntled because his parents got them kicked out of the Garden of Eden, so he's, he's mad, and he goes out to explore. And when he does, he finds structures built with humans. He's like, wait a minute. I thought we were the only ones. And interesting, when you read the story, it never says that God only made Adam and Eve. That's a whole nother sermon. But Cain comes back and, and, and he's excited about this and, and his parents are very worried. And he gets mad at Abel. Abel is saying, why don't you just stay home? Why do you have to go out and explore? Why do you? And then you know what happens in the story. Cain kills his brother and he has to, he has to leave. In the second act, uh, interestingly, in between act one and act two, God remains silent. It's almost as if God can't deal with Cain killing his brother. So God becomes silent. In the second act In the second act, it's the story of Noah and his family on the ark. And Noah is wrestling with, "Why can I not hear your voice? Where have you gone, Lord?" And then at the end of the story, of course they well you know, they, they eventually get out of the ark uh, and repopulate the Earth and all of the animals. And there's this great song at the end. It's called "In the Beginning," and it says this: "We cannot know what will occur." Just make our journey worth the taking and pray we are wiser than we were in the beginning. Love that. We cannot know what will occur. Just make our journey worth the taking and pray we're wiser than we were in the beginning. You're hearing that it took Paul three years to sort out transformation, that what was happening within him. Suddenly, his words from Romans chapter 12 have a poignant meaning. Do not be conformed to this world, or if I have the liberty of paraphrasing, do not be conformed to our own camps. Do not be conformed to this world, but be Transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that, not so that you can be right (laughs) or so that you can one up your neighbor, so that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And you know, what is good and acceptable and perfect might be something that is new to you, or it changes your assumptions, or it may be counter to what you've been taught or what you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sometimes transformation takes years. You wake up one morning, you tell your spouse you need to go to seminary and leave the restaurant behind and spend years studying the word of god sometimes transformation happens in an instant through a conversation with a coworker that changes your assumptions or maybe you find yourself at the griffith observatory and an unassuming tour guide reminds you that the earth might be the only place in the universe where love exists therefore we must become experts at sharing it, experts in receiving it, and even extending it to those we see as the Samaritans of the world. May we be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, sometimes we seek Sabbath away, sometimes we seek the still small voice, but Father, during this wilderness time, may we seek transformation. May we be stewards of hope, experts in sharing love with the world. Offer us patience to find the time we need for transformation. Transformation of the heart, transformation of the mind, transformation of the new wine that is our soul. May we, too, have an experience of Jesus so powerful that we seek what is good, what is holy, and what is perfect. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.